Well, again, Shabbat Shalom. Our parasha this Shabbat is Emor. I gave it a subtitle, Dot Your I's and Cross Your T's. Emor means say or say it and covers Leviticus chapters 21 through 24. These chapters reveal a God who is supremely holy, who pays attention to details and demands the same of those who would draw near to him. God is awesome in perfection, hence the Kohanim who represented God to Israel and vice versa had to be free of physical defects. Anyone blind or lame or having a facial disfigurement or eczema or a crushed testicle was disqualified. Even something as simple as a broken bone or a limp prevented a man from serving at the altar. I and many of us here would be ineligible on, <laughs> on that basis alone. <clears throat> I on a number of bases. But we should understand that the Kohanim were a type of Messiah Yeshua, who was himself flawless in every respect. The priest's lifestyle was also to be an example of holiness. He was not to marry a divorcee, a widow, or any woman who had ever been sexually impure, only a virgin Israeli. In terms of ritual purity, the priest was not to have any contact with a deceased person, hence our reading. Chapter 22 lists the requirements of animals brought for sacrifice to Adonai. No animal with any sort of blemish or deformity was to be brought as a sin offering or burnt offering. We were also prohibited from slaughtering a cow or a sheep and its offspring on the same day, but to allow at least a week for the mother and youngling to be together. Animals may be simple, but they do have feelings, and God cares about all of his creation. Chapter 23 outlines the seven annual holidays of Israel, four in the spring and three in the fall, why did God command us to observe these festivals? Was it to make our lives more complicated? No, of course not. These were special occasions for us to draw near to him and to enjoy his presence. Adonai knows that we need spiritual course corrections, recalibration, periodic reminders of just who we are and who he is. Each of these holidays points to Yeshua as the Messiah. Pesach, Passover, portrays Yeshua as the flawless Lamb of God, not a bone of whom was broken, and by whose blood death continues to pass over all who obey him. The seven-day holiday of unleavened bread points to him as the sinless one, who for our sake was afflicted, broken, striped, and pierced. Bikurim, or first fruits, falling on the third day of Passover week, anticipated Messiah's third day resurrection from the dead. Fifty days later, Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost, with the new grain and the wave offering of two loaves baked with leaven, symbolized the Holy Spirit's coming and drawing together 
of Jew and Gentile together in Messiah as one new man. Leviticus mentions no summer festivals. Summer is when the crops are growing and ripening, but the harvest is yet to come. (coughs) Excuse me. In terms of God's redemption of the world, I believe we are in the very late and waning days of summer. For the past 2,000 years, the seed of the gospel has gone out worldwide and in so many places taken root. The harvest of believers from all the nations will soon be gathered at the end of the age. Israel's three fall festivals are also prophecies anticipating the second coming of Messiah, Yom Teruah, or as we commonly call it, Rosh Hashanah, on the first day of the seventh month of Tishrei, with its blowing of shofars, anticipates that coming great day when the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the great trumpet, the shofar of God, and the dead in Messiah shall rise." Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, occurring on the 10th day of Tishri. The high priest, representing all Israel, would enter Kadosh Kadoshim, the Holy of Holies, but only after elaborate ritual purification and the offering of a bull for his own sin. What a solemn day. It was all or nothing. We would either be accepted by God and live another year or be judged by God and condemned. God commanded us to humble ourselves and to contemplate our desperate need of forgiveness for our many sins. The rabbis tell us that in ancient times, a scarlet-colored piece of fabric was tied to the azazel, the scapegoat, and another piece at the uh, nailed at the temple gate. They say that when the azazel met its death, instantaneously the scarlet-colored fabric would turn white, symbolizing God's acceptance of our atonement for that year and reminding us of the words of Isaiah, though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they will be like wool. Imagine the gladness and the relief felt by all in that moment. Well, that relief would naturally give way to joy and celebration, which is, of course, what the final seventh holiday was all about, Sukkot, the holiday of booths or tabernacles, five days later on the 15th of Tishri. These sukkahs, the little shelters that we build and decorate with leafy branches, it looks back to our wandering in the Sinai after we were set free from Egypt. The sukkah, which is so temporary, also reminds us that our sojourning in this world is temporary. This isn't our home, and these bodies, these sukkahs of ours, will one day fail. Sukkot, though, also looks ahead to Messiah's millennial kingdom of peace and abundance and to our eternity in fellowship with God, as the Apostle John wrote, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men and he will dwell among them. Chapter 24 concludes with a situation in which a young man was judicially sentenced to death for having blasphemed the name of Adonai. The parasha is all about holiness, 
God is holy. His name is holy. And his people are to be holy. Let me conclude with two thoughts. First, even if you're not physically perfect, I think that's pretty much all of us, even if you're not physically perfect like Israel's priests, don't despair. God graciously calls us a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And we have a righteous and flawless high priest who for our sake was disfigured. Because Messiah Yeshua has provided the ultimate atonement for of himself once for all time, we are now accepted by God if we are in him, but only if we are in him. Second, let's make sure we don't use God's grace as an excuse for half-baked faith. Those burnt offerings were to be flawless animals, the very best we had. Are you giving God the fat portions, the very best of your finances, your abilities, and your time? Or is he getting the leftovers? Are you dotting the I's and crossing the T's in your life? Yes, walk in his grace, but it's that very grace that should move you to give him your very, very best. And to accomplish all that you do at work, in your family, in your neighborhood, with excellence. Amen?